boy, you talk about a slow burn of a film. Wow. I found myself on the edge of my seat. I think it was the marketing. Some people thought they were tricked into coming to see a movie that it wasn't. Because at the end, if you thought to yourself, I don't understand what happened, it's because you weren't paying attention. I'm happy to call it a horror film if we get a whole bunch more like this one. You're simply the best. Hard to believe it is that time of year again. Where'd it go? It's gone. It's gone. We just seems like we just did the half year best of list. So now we're up to the final year. The best horror movies, our favorite horror movies. From 2017, we're going to run them down, the top ten, talk about some other movies as well. Got a great guest today. So we want to get to it because we've got a lot to cover, but we had a great... Re- First of all, we want to say a huge thank you to Jeff Frummis, yes. our guest last time. He was fantastic. Brought some serious content, and we knew we'd get a good reaction, and we did. Well, part of it was because Jeff was great, and part of it was because the topic was one of the topics that people have been haranguing us about <laughs> for right, right. years. That we finally right. did anthology horror, and it was fun because we had five, Jeff had five, they were completely different because there are 300 million anthology horror films to choose from. <laughs> At least. So we got a chance to really cover a bunch of them. Tom Howard, and I'm going to assume that this was in jest because I know he's got better taste than this. He wondered why Udo Kier's The Theater Bizarre wasn't on the list. We love <laughs> oh, Udo. We love Udo Kier. We do, but that movie is terrible. Um, Lisa G was happy about the song George picked. She liked the whole topic. Oh she, yeah, Violent Femmes. That's right. That on there, right? Thank you, Lisa. Dan was happy to hear some Monster Club love, mm-hmm. and that's all Jeff because uh, that would not have cracked my top five. Although it's a really fun movie. Okay. Um, and then Dark Dave was surprised, and I thought more people would be. VHS wasn't on there. Right. Well, we did like so, we like some of the segments in VHS. It's not but so not, much. It's not like I don't like the movie VHS. Right. It's really just this is such an incredibly dense category yeah. of options. Yeah. Is is all. And then there was one actually you wanted to mention. Yeah, I forgot to mention a Christmas horror story, right, which, which I you liked loved, a lot. Yeah. yeah, I think that Shatner. one is solid. Shatner playing a DJ. How could mm-hmm. I not like that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we totally forgot about that one. I'm not sure it would have had enough love from you to make the list, but no, uh, I did remember. <laughs> no, that's a definite no. <laughs> But uh, I did like that one, too. All right, yeah, we got a great response. Thanks to everybody for chiming in on that. It was a lot of fun after we put it off for so long. Yeah, it was. It was a good one. And and thanks again to Jeff. And everybody just keep an eye on it. He said that his film, Romeo's Distress, will be available uh, streaming. Amazon Prime, I think he said, sometime soon. So we'll let you know when that is available because you should definitely watch it. Very cool. Yeah, it was a good episode. Maybe we should bow to public demand more often. No. <laughs> All right. Chris, see what you're in for. We welcome in uh, our guest today on the latest edition of Fright Club. It's Chris Hamill, president and programmer from our beloved Gateway Film Center here in Columbus. Welcome, Chris. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. You've, You've never, never been, been on, on here. No. How did that happen? I don't I know. finally got invited. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. We've got some good stuff to talk about uh, our list, and then we know you have some other things that maybe are not going to be on our list that you want to talk about. And we do, too, because there's so many good ones. Some of them we've already covered in the half-year list, but some we haven't. So that's all right. So let's get to it. Number 10 on our list of the best of 2017. It's a film that follows two death-obsessed teenage girls who use their online show about real-life tragedies to send their small Midwestern town into a frenzy and cement their legacy as modern horror legends. It's called Tragedy Girls. It rains my charisma. You can do anything. Are you afraid that the killer will target you because of your infamous blog? We will not take any more shit from this serial killer. I'm 
so scared right now. You look amazing. You know, it's funny because I wrote a blog for a company that does online training. I wrote a blog this year about how digital media was seeping its way into horror movies because it's just, you know, sort of this. It's an easy target and how no one had done it right yet. Not one person. They'd all been bad. Rings. I'm looking at you, by the way. (laughs) But Tragedy Girls did. They did it really well. They they struck a a comic tone, a darkly comic tone that they, they really carried throughout. And so it's a great combination of, first of all, really well thought out examination of social media, but then also a clear, absolute love of horror and in particular slasher or like the sort of high school slasher genre. And I thought it was fun and funny and really, really well put together. Well, I think Hope said it perfectly. I mean, I think we've all been waiting for somebody to take on this topic. And Tragedy Girls is, for to start with, is hilarious. Um, I mean, it's obviously very, very dark, but um, I found myself laughing as much as anything through this film. And it is a really interesting twist on the slasher genre. And I thought there was some recognizable actors in it, which always makes it interesting to watch and uh, just a really great take on, uh, on the genre. Josh Hutcherson's part is hilarious. Yeah, he was great. He, he was, was one of the best parts of the film. <laughs> he also has a nice little, uh, nice little small part in The, the Disaster, Disaster Artist. So, yeah, yeah, he's coming on strong here at the late, <laughs> late in the end of the year. All right, Tragedy Girls is number 10 and number 9, a scientist and a teacher living in a dystopian future embark on a journey of survival with a special young girl named Melanie. It's the girl with all the gifts. I am producing a vaccine. And she is the main ingredient. What am I? Hope. That's what you are. I just want to live. Everyone wants that. She loves you. What the hell is this? The world is falling apart. You can save people, Melanie. You can save everybody. What did you do? This was on our best of half the year list and definitely makes the final list because we we love this movie. It's such a I think we talked about it then that finding a fresh angle on the zombie movie is so hard to do, but this does it. Yeah, actually, I think it's not just that it's a fresh angle. It's like a really natural sort of evolution of the zombie and the zombie film. And then, of course, Glenn Close, if Glenn Close wants to be in your movie, you say yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she was so great. And then so was Thania Nanua, who played the girl with all the gifts. I mean, you know, she's a little kid and she just she really commands this film. Yeah, you guys both said it perfectly. I mean, it was a really fresh twist on a genre we've seen a lot of. And I can speak from the cinema side. This movie, when we played it at the film center, had a really lasting impression on the audience. You know, it was a film that people really wanted to talk about after they watched. And I think that's always a really great sign of how good the film was. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Because when you get that final little twist at the end, yeah. and when you do think about it, you're like, you know what? That it makes perfect sense. Exactly. You know, we're always thinking about it maybe from the wrong way, right. and this one looks at it from the other angle, and it makes it makes a lot of sense. So, it, yeah, I can see how it invites a lot of discussion. Yep, right on. I totally agree, George. And I and I think again, this is. I'm glad this made your top ten list because um, 
not a lot of people saw it. Hopefully, more people will see it because you put it on the list. But uh, and I think the filmmaker Cole McCarthy is a really talented guy. Hopefully, I know he did some. He did an episode of Black Mirror last season, I oh, believe. Yeah. And um, hopefully, we'll get more work out of him um, based on how good this was. That's funny that you say that because when we did have it on the half year list, he came up, and I guess he's done a lot of TV, and I don't ever see TV because I'm a loser, so I didn't know that. <laughs> but he directed a, an Irish movie that I always like called Outcast. Yeah. Um, sort of a an, uh, sort of an almost werewolf kind of a movie that I. Uh, that that I've always just really enjoyed. So I was happy to see him float back to the surface of filmmaking anyway. Yeah, very cool. Yep, totally Girl agree. with all the gifts, number nine. And number eight, this one, well, it didn't make the half-year list for a, a, an interesting reason. We'll talk about that. Three girls are kidnapped by a man with the diagnosed 23 distinct personalities, and they must try to escape before the apparent emergence of a frightful new 24th. It's split. I've never seen a case like this before. 23 identities live in Kevin's body. Help me get out of here, Hedwig. Are you trying to trick me? I'll tell on you. Aren't you the clever one? An individual with multiple personalities can change their body chemistry with their thoughts. Someone's coming for you. Who's coming? The beast. man here. He abducted us and he's going to kill me. The world will understand now. The beast is real. He's done awful things to people and he'll do awful things to you. So I admit it that I liked this movie. I thought it was very good and I didn't have the highest of expectations but I didn't think of it as a horror film. So when... At the half year part. At the half year. But two things have happened since then. One is that it's on HBO every 15 minutes now (laughs) and I I recognize more the more and of course I can't not watch it. So I recognize more and more how sort of deeply creepy the whole thing is but then also... um, we did a Fright Club in between the six month and half year, or six month and full year on crazy. Yeah. Yeah, mental problems. Yes. Yeah. And since Split made that list, that officially pulled it into acceptable for our lists. Yeah, well, you've boxed yourself into a corner, I and have. this is how you get out. So, so Chris, what do you think? Horror, <laughs> horror film or not with Split? I think it is a horror film. I was not the biggest fan of the film. I liked it, I didn't love it. It wouldn't have made my list, but I do think the. Um, I guess we're going to get another Unbreakable film out of it, and I'm I'm mm-hmm. happy about that. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think it is a horror film, and uh, and you know, in a year we've had some really breakthrough audience, uh, commercial successful film with audiences, Split sort of set the table for that. Yeah, and and it's interesting talking about not really being a fan. I was not before this movie the biggest fan of James McAvoy, but I'll tell you what, did he win me over? He was fantastic. He was. And in a, you know, so the thing is, the reason I wasn't that excited about this in the first place is because, you know, split personality horror, yawn. Oh, my God. They've been a million of them and they are so predictable and stupid. And then I always felt bad for the lead (laughs) because, you know, it's like they're, you know, first you're this person, you're this person. One of the things that I thought was spectacular about McAvoy's performance, not only that he did sort of develop a whole series of very distinct, believable personalities, but that those personalities sometimes masqueraded as other his other yeah. personalities, yeah. and he managed to do that as well. I thought it was, I've always liked him better than you have, but I thought he was awesome in this. And of course, Anya Taylor-Joy, I love to see her in anything because yeah. I love The Witch so very much. And Betty Buckley! I know, Betty Buckley. It's great always to see her. And I liked, one thing I liked about this was it seemed to me that, that uh, the whole time M. Night was just playing rope-a-dope. It was yeah. like, he knew that you were trying to guess the twist before 
it would get. And, yes. he, and he used that against you. He did, And yeah. then when he very finally cleverly. delivered the twist, I'm like, oh, nice. Very yep. nice. That's very well stated, George. And good for him for a film that we all kind of liked. Because yeah. um, it's it's been a lot of uh, misses for him in recent years. So yeah, good to yeah, see him back. I, I thought he, you know, I thought he got back a little bit a couple of years ago with the visit. That was enjoyable, you know, on kind of a guilty pleasure level. But this Chris one, didn't like the visit. Oh, we didn't? had a, we had a big conversation oh, about it right before okay. it came out. Okay, I'm not sure if that film wanted to be um, found footage or not, but um, it, but I hear you, George, and I think a lot of people did like the visit. And again, hopefully, this is um, he, you know he. Uh, also, McAvoy did have a great year. I mean, uh, he's also an Atomic Blonde, yeah. and, and yes. then very good yeah. in that as well. So. Agreed, agreed. All right, Split. Now, at least for this moment in time, for Hope, it is a horror movie. So <laughs> we'll see what happens come, uh, come 2018. That's number eight. So number seven on our best of 2017 takes us to Warsaw. A pair of mermaid sisters are adopted into a cabaret. While one seeks love with humans, the other hungers to dine on the human population of the city. It's the lure. But we definitely don't get enough Polish horror films, so I'm happy to see that. And I hope if you want to debate about whether or not Split was a horror film, there's probably a debate to have about the lore as well, yeah, because yeah. it's pretty funny throughout the film. Yep. Um, yeah. No, but, I agree with you. It is it is borderline horror, and it's really not until uh, two-thirds of the way in, really, that there's any carnage at all. And there's musical numbers? Oh, yes, there so. is. It's a bizarre movie. <laughs> it is. It you is. Know, it's a bizarre movie. It's the Polish musical about vampire mermaids. Yes, please. <laughs> exactly the, right. I'm happy to call it a horror film if we get a whole bunch more like this one. So, um, yeah, what a, what, what a great accomplishment for the filmmakers. Yeah, it was. And even though, you know, it's based on a fairy tale or a, yeah a fairy tale from hans christian anderson the little mermaid but boy it takes it in uh, in in dark new directions it does it does because you know i mean the hans christian i don't i don't believe that they eat people i'm pretty sure that those mermaids don't eat people right. so i mean he really definitely the filmmakers bring in a lot of other creepy folklore and then they they creepy it up even some more but the the hans christian anderson is is not in any way like the disney at all version right. Right. it's a cautionary tale about abandoning who you are for someone who doesn't deserve you and that's definitely at the heart of this film which is great and very interesting but it's also so very steeped in sort of polish 1980s not knowing who they are not knowing what direction they were going and and then the greatest like synth pop of the time <laughs> like everything about this movie was so weird and fun no doubt and that's the lore moving up to number six our favorites of the year focuses on troubled teen milo who has a fascination with vampire lore meeting the equally alienated sophie the two form a bond that begins to blur Milo's fantasy into reality in the Transfiguration. Have you been hurting any animals? Maybe thinking, but I don't do it. Not anymore. So you heard, huh? No. Someone killed a white boy in the basement. So what are vampires like? I think it starts with drinking blood. Like you have a need to. Eventually, that's not good enough. So you switch to animals and people. Whatever it is you're doing, there's someone doing a whole lot worse. Why are you avoiding me? Uh, 
this was such a great and interesting take on outsider high school drama. You know, in a lot of ways, sort of the seeds of what would become a high school shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, like a boy, a child who feels so completely alienated that in this case, he starts to want to be a vampire, sees how much he has in common with this loner who has no friends, who can't have friends, of course, because he feeds on the friends. And then he starts killing people. And it's a really subtle and and lovely performance. It really is. Uh, yeah. Milo is by uh, the, whole, the movie is written and directed by Michael O'Shea, who clearly, as with Tragedy Girls, loves horror oh, loves yes. it deeply and yes. so the whole movie is really steeped in that idea which which is important because otherwise you wouldn't really necessarily believe milo's character as well eric ruffin is his name well and because milo so often mentions other horror movies yes. and he specifically mentions vampire movies and how and he always comments on about how realistic, realistic they are because he knows right. of course that's yeah. how he gauges that's yes. how he gauges whether or not a vampire movie is any good is by how realistic it is which is why sophie who likes Twilight, you know, is is a problematic is a problematic relationship for him. But also, uh, you know, the way that they treat her character and everything that she's going through as another outsider is really tender, but at the same time a little bit raw. I just thought it was an incredibly moving and just gorgeously acted movie. Well, it was also beautifully shot. Yes, yeah, it really the was. Cinematography of this film is among the best of 2017, regardless of genre. It was beautiful to look at, and I really felt like the city was a character almost in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't see a lot of sort of urban films like this done very well. And so it's, it's just a beautiful film to look at. Also, nobody saw this movie, so if, <laughs> if everybody who's listening should go out right away and see it. It's a, it's a really great addition to your list and a, and a really uh, very deliberately paced film, right? Yeah. But really, really well done. The Transfiguration number 6 on the Fright Club list of the best horror movies of 2017. Our guest is Chris Hamill, the president and programmer of Gateway Film Center. Of course, that's where we do our Fright Club Lives. That's where we've talked a lot about the Nightmares Film Festival. But really, before all that, Chris... You guys, from the start, you have just really embraced the horror genre and tried to move it forward. Well, Nightmares on High, right, was one of, it is what, maybe the longest running, just, you know, brand new horror every week series on Earth. Yeah, we're really proud of Nightmares on High Street. I mean, we started it in 2010, and um, by the way, the premiere film in the series was The Human Centipede, um, (laughs) (laughs) which we got national press for playing because, uh, you know, nobody would play the film at the time. And um, so, you know, I've, I've felt for years, for almost a decade, that independent horror was really coming into its own. And the problem is, you know, they're really fun to watch, but watching them on the small screen is just not the same as watching them on the big screen. And so we've had the longest-running independent horror film series, certainly, on the earth. Um, We're in our eighth year and still going strong, and a lot of the films on your list you know, they played in Columbus because of Nightmares on High Street, so we're really proud of that oh, series. Oh, yeah, that's how we saw almost all of these. That's right. No <laughs> doubt about it. And we and we love being there with Fright Club Live once a month and, of course, love the Nightmares Film Festival. By the way, put it on your calendar for October 2018. you got to right. make it for uh, the next edition of Nightmares Film Festival because it's only getting better every year. All right, so before we get to the top five, let's talk about some that were maybe outside the list. I think also there's one that you want to talk about, Chris, that we haven't even seen yet, right? Uh, you, I assume you're talking about The Shape of Water. Yes. So a lot of the films on the list, I felt like, um, are sort of genre-bending, and The Shape of Water is as well. Um, but I think for cinephiles, and certainly there's a lot of those listening, Guillermo del Toro is a, an enigma. Uh, sometimes you get you know, films that you love, and sometimes you get films that you don't 
maybe love quite as much. Shape of Water is Del Toro's best film. Um, You know, all the elements that you love about his filmmaking are there. Then there's some new things. The screenplay is uh, incredibly well written. And it has some elements that are similar to the lore, which we talked about earlier on the program. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the luxury of seeing this film a few months ago, and I I think uh, it's going to be on everyone's short list for the best film of 2017, regardless of genre. And I do think it will receive a Best Picture nomination. And um, Sally Hawkins, uh, in a year when Frances McDormand is the clear favorite for Best Actress, she could sneak in and win. Wow. We know Sally Hawkins was already on my list for a film called Maudie that right. nobody saw. Right. I love Sally Hawkins, but we are we're going to see Shape of Water here in just a few days, and we're very excited, even more so now. So that's awesome. There was another one, Chris, that you had brought up that I I've seen people uh, associate with horror. I don't know that I would, but I loved Killing of a Sacred Deer. Well, I think, again, I hate to be redundant, but it is a bit of a genre-bending film. Yeah, it is. And it is a horrific ending. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the same sort of debate you were having with Split, um, you could probably have with this film. Because in general, I can see the point. It is a very dramatic film. But, um, boy, you talk about a, a slow burn of a film. Wow. I found myself on the edge of my seat. Yes. Absolutely stunned at how they ended this film. So, And really, before even the ending, it, it, has, the, it has a nightmarish quality, as you've as you find out what the characters, the choices that they're up against, that's, right. that's a nightmare. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. And, and that's another one just gorgeously filmed. Very oh. Kubrick in the way it was shot and, and the way so it was well filmed. Acted. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, almost made in Columbus, Ohio. I really? know, right? It's made in Cincinnati, I think. Oh. Yeah, the film was shot in Cincinnati, but almost made in Columbus. And uh, we certainly have an emerging star of a filmmaker in, um, in uh, Yorgos uh, oh. Lanthimos. No yes. doubt, because he and, did The Lobster, which I love so much. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. What about another one that some people consider horror, some people hate outright? We liked it very much, Mother. Horror film or no? Oh, I, I think it's a horror film. Oh, okay. Um, I understand why there is a debate about um, the genre. I I actually love the film. What, what did you guys think? I we haven't. Loved it. Yeah. I don't think we've talked about it. Okay, yeah, well, no, we, we did. We both yeah. loved it. We, loved yeah. it. We both did, yes. I don't think and, um, we and considered it's a horror movie, but we loved it. Right, and we took when we saw the screening, we took two of our other writers, right, Kat McAlpine and, and Matt Wiener, Wiener Cat, we like to call them collectively. <laughs> and um, I've never been in a lengthier or more robust group text in my life as at, after we left that movie. I couldn't get them to leave me alone. Like, and, and it's so funny, it's like every, all each of the four of us had a completely separate completely valid interpretation, interpretation yeah. of the yeah. movie. And, and I loved how well that worked. It's an incredibly bold movie, and I love that he doesn't make a lot of decisions for you. He just is working some shit out. <laughs> He's got... And man, I mean... I hope Michelle Pfeiffer wins uh, Best Supporting, or at least is nominated. She was fantastic. She yeah. was so great in that movie. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think a nomination for her would be a win uh, because of how controversial and polarizing the film mm-hmm. was. But, um, well, that's the kind of movie I wish we could play at Gateway Film Center forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, just because exactly what you described, you know, you watch the audience like fighting with each other at the end about what the hell they had just watched right. in addition to uh, how they felt about it. So, yeah, Aronofsky also got really great performances out of everybody who was in the oh, film. Yeah. And no, uh, no shouldn't be underestimated how hard that is. So. Yeah, it's, I was really surprised. I, I could understand people not liking it, but just some of the venom yeah. that came out about this movie, I was really surprised because, as I said, we both liked it. Yeah, we did. Another one that got a lot of people's anger up in the horror community was It Comes at Night, another one that we both loved. Yeah, if I thought that It Comes at Night was a horror film, it would absolutely have made this list. It would probably have made my top five. I thought it was a brilliant 
and in many ways, very kind of damaging and hard to watch film. It, it, you know, it reminded me, I thought it was a good sort of B-side to The Survivalist, a movie nobody saw that I watched at Gateway Film Center and loved, which is another sort of post-apocalyptic, you don't know what happened, you're just watching somebody survive it. But I thought It Comes at Night was a brilliant movie. I agree. And Trey Edward Schultz is uh, really... Did you see Krisha? Yes. Loved it. So, I mean, I can't wait to see what happens next. And I agree. I don't think this is really a horror film. And I don't understand the backlash from the community on this one quite as much. There's... Um, I think it was the the marketing. Uh, I think they some people thought they were tricked into coming to see a movie that it wasn't. Yeah, I hear that. But I also think the way... Yes, I, I hear you. But I think the, the sort of uh, paranoia that this film is really pushing along yeah. um, is really nice to see. And we, I think one of the biggest complaints we all hear is that there isn't enough original content, mm-hmm. you know, new things. Mm-hmm. And, boy, I felt like this was something that we really hadn't seen before. So I, I, really, uh, I really appreciated the film and really liked it. Yeah, I did too. I think it's, it's one of my favorite films of the year. Yeah. I thought it was so well done. And he's, he's yeah, those two movies with this and Krisha... Man, I am definitely looking forward to what he does next because he has so, so, so much potential. Um, another one that I didn't see, but you guys like, right? Yes. Super Dark Times. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite films of the year. You know, it's sort of like, it had like some elements of 80s coming-of-age films, mm-hmm. except there's a really horrific scene with a samurai sword and then really terrible choices that come afterwards. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really like the film, and I think this is a first-time filmmaker, correct? I believe that it was, yeah. And you know, the thing that I liked is that it was very convincingly set in its time period, and its time period is basically the very, very early 2000s, which is kind of kind of the advent of high school shootings. Sure. Right? It's like there was such a cultural shift, and I don't think that films ever addressed it. A couple, a couple did. But I mean, on the whole, you still had the same type of John Hughes movies being made after that's no longer in any way what high school was like. And so one of the things I liked about this film is that it gave you very realistic characters. And you're right, they made incredibly bad decisions. And then it went, it, uh, for me, there was a tonal shift at a certain point that I thought I couldn't 100% get behind. But, but I really loved this movie. Yeah, the director is Kevin Phillips, and it's his uh, feature debut. He's only done shorts up mm-hmm. to now. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, we'd be, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the performances from these kids that are in this movie. They were, they were out of this. I mean, almost to the point at moments where it felt real. It felt like I was watching a documentary or something like that. So really, really wonderful performances. Yeah, agreed. All right, getting back to our top 10 of horror movies in 2017. This one really doesn't need much introduction. It's it. At last count, I think this one has made about six hundred billion dollars or something right. close to that. <laughs> but you know what? That's it's so great to see when everything comes together. It's a good movie. Yep. It's a horror movie, and it made a boatload of money. I know. Like a lot of people, I was a little bit nervous about this one because, of course. I love Pennywise. I love Tim Curry's Pennywise. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like the TV It. I don't like that movie. I don't, I don't, I don't either, mind, but I like Pennywise. I don't mind part one because I love Pennywise. I hate part two. I hate it. 
I hate everything about it. So I'm really hoping that that uh, that this franchise can can fix that because they basically just did part one in this movie and yeah. there's going to be a sequel. Well, I but, think there's every reason based on this one exactly. to think that they will do one it right. One of the things I thought they did so well was to update it, not update it to modern times, but update it to the 80s. I thought they did that incredibly well. Mm-hmm. So many of the references were hilarious. And I, again, uh, you know, just like, like with Super Dark Times, the young cast was marvelous. Yeah. They really were, and we've seen so many Stephen King adaptations be disasters. <laughs> Actually, and it's funny, because Chris and I just had this conversation for like an hour uh, before, <laughs> before a movie a week or so ago. We just went back and forth and back and forth about bad Stephen King movies. Yeah, and this one, they got it about as right as you could hope. And also, George, something you said right in the beginning that I don't think should be overlooked at all is for those of us who love the horror genre, for it to do however much money it did, $350 million domestically or whatever, is a breakthrough moment. I hope it leads to us getting a lot more films in the genre and films in the genre that have better budgets and better writers and so that the product we get is even better. Yeah, and one of the things, Hope, you mentioned the humor. One of the things I appreciated because on almost every occasion, maybe there were one or two, but in almost every occasion, the humor didn't undercut any dramatic tension right. or mm-hmm. scares, no. which I really appreciated. Um, yeah, there were cr- wisecracks from, from smart aleck kids, but that felt okay. But boy, when it got, you know, when it got scary, especially if you don't like clowns, it's pretty darn scary. Yeah, he, yeah, because that's the thing, right, is, the, is that, was the big, that was the big hurdle. Could, could he even live up to Tim Curry? And, you know, and he took it in his own direction, and, and the budget, and, and also being a film and not being on TV, all mm-hmm. those things helped a lot. But Skarsgård was great. He was. He was. He was terrifying. He was literally terrifying, and he didn't even have to say a word. Just standing there, I was very, I was very scared. Yeah, yeah. And also, what a great cinematic film, right? What a great yes. movie to see in oh, a dark yeah. in a movie theater on a big screen. What a, really awesome to look at. Agreed, all the way around. Number five is it on our list. Moving up to number four, this is a story of a young vegetarian undergoing a carnivorous hazing ritual at vet school, releasing an unbidden taste for meat, and it's called raw. I mean, Raw isn't one of the best horror films of 2017. It's one of the very, very best films of 2017. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of runs the gamut, right? It's like sexy and funny and like shocking and beautiful. I don't know. It has uh, so many different things going on at the same time. Uh, the filmmaker's very first film, and she also wrote it. Yeah. And if that is what we can expect from this filmmaker, I, I don't know how you top Raw, quite exactly. frankly. Uh, so, I mean, just... The word that I left saying, and I saw this film quite some time ago, is that it's just shocking. Just shock, just a shocking film. It is. It's an amazing, it's, it's done though. It's, a, it's like a coming-of-age film. Julia de Cournot. Yeah. So uh, impressive. What a debut. Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing. And, and the performances that she got were equally amazing. And it's, it's one of those, you know, a girl goes to college and all of a sudden she's free to make these decisions and look how her, how her sister turned out. And, and it's, it's so very similar to a lot of other films in those particular themes. But it's one of the things I loved about this movie is that it, it takes its metaphor as far as it's going to go, and it never feels worn out. Right. And it, I mean, it serves the purpose beautifully. And then also, it, this is maybe my favorite ending of any movie that I saw this it's year. It's a great ending, and you're right, because an extended, extended metaphor like that is often so hard to pull off. Yes. But it does it, and the movie has a nice social con- consciousness about it. And yeah, the ending is, is pitch perfect. Yes, it is. And that's number four, Raw. Moving up to number three. 
Two girls must battle a mysterious evil force when they get left behind at their boarding school over winter break. It's the Black Coat's daughter. You do know about the sisters, don't you? They worship the devil. Is there something wrong? Why are you doing this? Do you believe in God, Joan? Ever tried to look for him? I look for him in the unlikely things that happen. Little coincidences. So Oz Perkins. Oz. He kind of simultaneously had this movie in theaters, and he had another one that was on in Netflix called, called I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. Another good one. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i so excited for anything else he ever does, because <laughs> I, I really was very taken by both of these movies. I thought Black Coast Daughter was a better film, and one of the things I absolutely love about it is very deliberately paced. But Very. You know, if you get a, a picture book, child's picture book, you know that they're good picture books, if the illustration is as necessary to your understanding of the story as the, as the text is. This is what Black Coat's Daughter is to me. You have to be paying attention to what's going on, because at the end, if you thought to yourself, I don't understand what happened, it's because you weren't paying attention. Yes. All of the clues are there for you on the screen at all times, and he just expects you. He has confidence in you as a viewer, and I loved that about yeah, this movie. I think- it's there for you. It is. It is there for you, but you have to, you, it, it is, expects a lot from you. It does. But it rewards that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, I thought the performances were great. I thought it was very, very creepy in a, in a lot of different ways. And I thought it looked great. There was, you know, it's just this chilly, it's always winter, it's New England winter. Um, but also there's this time lapse that sneaks up on you, partly because it's set, a lot of it is set in a parochial school where they're wearing uniforms, so it could be any year at any time. But I don't think that that usually works, and it did, I thought, work really well for this film. Yeah, I agree. I also felt like I was there with them for a lot of the film, and um, the, the way I got pulled into the film I thought was great. Sometimes when you hear the term pacing, it's a nice way of saying it's not very uh, exciting or it's slow. <laughs> and that really wasn't the case for me. And also, you mentioned um, I'm the pretty thing that lives in the house, Hope, but he also wrote The Girl in the Photographs a couple of years ago, and if, if the audience hasn't had a chance to see that film, that's another film that um, is really, really creepy, and people should check out if they get a second. And he is, for people that don't know, he's legendary actor Tony Perkins, Yes, and Elvis, his brother, his brother did the music for this movie, which was also really great. Talented family. Yes. The Black Coat's Daughter is number three on our list. Up at number two, man, this is one that got a lot of people talking, and and, and we loved it. It's a story of Vicky, a randomly abducted woman from a suburban street picked up by a disturbed couple. It's called Hounds of Love. Yeah, I read your little diary. Your mom wouldn't let you out, so you snuck out, didn't you? Probably not even looking for you. <laughs> you think she's prettier than me? He doesn't love you. He just uses you. Now let's go in there and have a little bit of fun. Hounds of Love was a film we were really happy that we got to play at the Film Center this year, and I hope a lot of the audience got to see it there, because it's another film that really plays very well to see on the big screen. And uh, 
for you guys both probably know this is based on a true story. Um, really creepy serial killer uh, film. Another first time filmmaker, Ben Young, is yeah. the director and writer of this, which is, there's so much tension that builds in this film. It's really incredible that somebody making their first feature could accomplish that. But I really loved it. Uh, if you're allowed to love this film, I really loved it. <laughs> and a yeah. uh, shocking ending as well. Yeah, because it's, um, it gets brutal. It's a tough one, yeah. It is a tough one. But I love some of the visual touches that, that he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the performances, the three performances are fantastic all three i mean all three are 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 stunning i think in particular emma booth who plays part of the couple who abducts the young girl yeah um and it's it's a fascinating layered twisted performance that i think drives the entire film but but all three performances are so good even though it is a a tough film to watch you never think for a second that it's exploitative there's No. no there's no sense that any of the violence um, is is there to, to titillate or entertain. Well, even though you see a lot of violence, a lot of it happens off screen. Yeah. And I think that really helps build that tension up to the moments that you do get to see more. And again, I just think that's the signs of a master uh, in the genre. And again, this is the guy's first film, so my goodness, what we have to look forward to. Yeah, and the moments when he chooses to go slow-mo and the, the implementation of, of certain bits of music and then Maybe the the shot of the airplane ahead at, a, at just the perfect time. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think this guy has has just boundless potential. And Hounds of Love, all three of us love that. It's number two on our list. And number one, it's the same number one from the half year. Well, I think Hounds of Love was number two on the half year list as well. So didn't change at the top. It's time for a young African American to meet with his white girlfriend's parents. It's Get Out. Do they know I'm black? Should they? Do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how you not scared of this, man? Get out! Yo! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. We've talked so much about this movie, and it's another one you could just talk about forever. And it's it's been making the rounds now, all the time on HBO. Yeah. And it's another one that if I'm flipping, I'm going to stop. Because you can see new things almost all the time. Jordan Peele, man, what a statement he made. Not only as a horror movie, not only as a socially conscious movie, uh, it also had humor in it. Um, there's just... Everything to love about this movie. But it's another example of a first-time filmmaker. I mean, obviously, he has been around for a long time, and, he, and he's pretty well known, but this is his feature-directing debut, and yeah. what mastery oh, he has shown. And, and writing, too, yeah. the screenplay. Yeah, but, but the way that he, he just holds your attention and, and the way that he pays really uh, interesting little, little odes to, to some of the greats in the genre that, that kind of led to this story that led to this. It's just, I mean, his direction is masterful in a, in a, in a horror film sort of a way. But what we were talking about earlier is that it's, it's in contention in the Golden Globes as a comedy. Right. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, I think the theme of this list has been genre bending, right? right. I mean, and, and I, I don't think Get Out is a comedy. Um, there are funny moments in the film, of course, and, and all the things that you two have already said about it. But, um, 
you know, the Golden Globes aren't exactly the gold standard for <laughs> choosing uh, no, films no, in the right category. No. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think this film uh, on the short list with Split and It, you know, huge audiences came out to see it. Again, yep. that's really great for the genre and, and really great for the things that, you know, these types of films that we love and, and Get Out's just a, a really amazing accomplishment for Jordan Peele. And, and I'll be honest, back when I first started hearing about it, I, I thought, I guess because it was Jordan Peele, that it was going to be a horror comedy. Uh, and then, as he, you know, as he has said in interviews, that it does have humor in it, but it doesn't have any jokes. Uh, and so, yeah, I was. I understand the Golden Globes and what they're doing. Right, and the everything. Martian wasn't very funny either. Exactly. I exactly. <laughs> well, there was at least one joke in the Martian, so I guess that makes it a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the. You guys mentioned Michelle Pfeiffer earlier. I mean, Catherine Keener in this film. Oh, I would yeah. love to see her get a nomination How at the end of the year. How scary was she? I mean, I'm not the same from watching that film because of <laughs> Catherine Keener. She's the person who freaked me out. The most. That's right. Yeah. Now you're in the sunken place. No, 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 yeah. no. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, it, it just it works on so many levels. It works as a horror movie, and you know there are, there are the humorous moments in it. But man, what a statement on you know quote unquote post racial, yeah. you know post Obama America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's just brilliant, brilliantly written and and brilliantly uh, directed. I, I hope I hope he gets some consideration come awards time. Sure. I think it, I, I certainly think it deserves it. I think if Universal had known what they had, they might have waited and released it at a later time of the year, which probably could have helped it a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I definitely do. Coming out in February, it's a long time for the audience and the voters to you know, remember it. And we've been blessed in 2017 because there's so many great films. So it's a competitive category, but I really hope Get Out gets some uh, accolades here with the Academy Award nominations coming up. All right, that is our top ten list. So uh, what do you think? Let us know if there's something we left out or maybe had too high or didn't talk about it all, let us know. Easiest way to do that is on Twitter. You can reach us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. Of course, the main website, all the written reviews and other fun, is at madwolf.com. And Chris, where can they reach you in the Film Center on social media? Uh, they can reach us at Gateway FC on Twitter and, of course, at uh, gatewayfilmcenter.org if they want to see films or upcoming listings for the, for the cinema. And if you're looking for a reason to go to Gateway Film Center, I have one. Come on with us. Come to the next Fright Club Live, which is Wednesdays at December 13th. We're going to show Frailty, oh, yeah. which is a gorgeous film and one that you should see on a big screen with a bunch of people around you. And uh, the podcast is going to be on divine missions in horror. Mm-hmm. Nice. Should be fun. It's always a great time. Always a great crowd. Chris Hamill, president and programmer at the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. We can't thank you enough. I apologize for taking so long for you to get on the show. (laughs) We thought you'd say no. (laughs) Well, thank you both for having me. It was a really great time. It was fantastic and a great year for horror movies and great movies to talk about. And uh, until next time, I am George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. (laughs) 